0: Hey, it's Dave and Paul here. Before we start this week's episode, special announcement uh, is that we've got a, we got a special bonus episode planned. It's an idea that that Paul came up with, but we want to hear from you. So, Paul, tell them how it's going to work.
1: Yeah, So, we really were trying to look for ways to engage a bunch of people and obviously we have these episodes that come out once every two weeks and you know that only affords us so many guests per year and we know there's so many awesome voices out there and everyone's had fun experiences so we thought like what's a really fun way that we can get a lot of people involved and i think we've all heard different radio shows or you know different things on maybe NPR or something where they'll have little segments of people calling in and we thought what better way would there be to collect all these And so we have the opportunity with all these bonus episodes to do kind of a fun call-in episode. So it's really going to be all composed of people that have called in. And we're having people call us at 859-412-1766, which is just a free Google number we set up. And then they have three minutes to leave a message with whatever their favorite, most memorable event day story is. I know that
0: might be tight to fit into three minutes, but uh, we're hoping to get some really good stuff. Yeah, your favorite event day story, or you know what, if you have something you want to rant about, or just share from the past year, we're we're open to whatever. But it's just a great chance for us to hear from you, whether you were a previous guest on the podcast or uh, just a, a long time listener, uh, first time caller. We'd like to hear from you. That number again: eight five nine four one two. 1766 and you can leave the message and you can call back. If you don't like what you did, you can go back and do it again. Uh, it's easy for you, uh, but we'd love to hear from you and have you be a part of our adventures in, in venue land, a, a special bonus episode. We do here to kind of to wrap up the year. Be sure to call and contribute your voice. Tell your friends, reach out to your
1: coworkers that you work with at venues. Um, if you know, you know, those friends of yours that work at a venue or you've worked with for years, who always has that fun, like, you know, story at the bar of oh, this one time and this one artist. And also, one thing to note is if you're not as comfortable of telling who you are, where you're from, you know, just call in and say the story. You don't need to mention your name. You don't need to mention anything else. Um, so you can kind of keep it anonymous if you want to share a little bit of a racy story that uh, you don't <laughs> want people to know who who it is. Uh, but also, feel free to include your name and your location so you can you know say I'm. Uh, Paul Hooper here from Lexington, Kentucky, you know, here's my da 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 or, you know, just keep it anonymous. So really, we leave it up to you.
0: Yeah, we'll play your voice uh, mail back. We're not going to use any vocoders or, you know, anything to change your voice, but uh, uh, feel free to do do it. Uh, The number again, 859-412-1766. And and the sooner the better, uh, because we are looking to get this uh, episode here recorded soon, right, Paul? Yeah, we're going to compile them all together. We're going to get
1: a bonus episode out around the holidays, we thought that would be kind of a fun time to do it where people could listen in, hear themselves, hear their friends. So definitely try to send it to us soon. We'll, we'll leave it open for a few weeks and stuff, but you know, get it into us soon.
0: All right. So we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, here we go. Another great episode coming your way. A really unique story uh, that's, that's very inspiring too. So kind of a, an adventures with adventures. I don't know, but here, here check this one out. I think you're going to like it. All right, here is Steve Sternshine. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Redelberger. And I'm Paul
1: Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them.
0: Our adventure today takes us deep into the heart of Texas. We're speaking with the chief executive officer and co-founder of ADVENTURES, Uh, oddly enough. He was also a uh, founding board member of the National Independent Venue Association, which all of us know from the big Save Our Stages effort. He owns and operates several venues in Central Texas, and you've probably seen him around because he's done a lot of panels and appearances. Uh, He kind of has a grip on everything in the live music biz. Uh, Steve Sternstein, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, how you doing, guys? Real good, real good. so let's start off if you know uh, if you don't mind with adventures right because we're on adventures in venue land and you you started this whole big thing which is ad dot ventures uh so so what is
2: this? <laughs> well, I mean the name comes from you know my thought was like calling up my friends and saying, hey, do you want to go on an adventure with me and right. my team and the the kind of starting point for that was, Uh, you know, having spent many years as a venue operator, trying to bring opportunities um, and partnerships into our space, but just not having the scale that's required to entice a national or global brand. So the concept is very simple. You know, we kind of, we just have a great group of folks who, all of whom are interested in those same kind of adventures that I am. And we're talking and working with Partners, you know, in every sector of the, you know, a, you know, every kind of company that could possibly be interested in addressing or working with the audiences that we bring together, you know, for for shows and 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 art experiences. And I think the, you know, the real big difference between what we can provide as a kind of distributed network is just an authentic kind of connection to the local communities that um, our venues exist in and support in a way that, you know, kind of there, nobody else can, can really offer that, you know, kind of opportunity to not just have their brands and, and uh, offerings in front of the right audience, but also know that like in doing that and bringing, and bringing those offers in, they're also support, you know, just like by the, by nature of it, supporting the community that um, that exists there. Um, So that's really a special opportunity and it came from the work that we did, you know, at Neva with Save Our Stages. And, you know, the need kind of like became very clear, you know, in the context of the pandemic and every, everything's shutting down. We were like, how are we going to get folks to, to help um, when there's so many other problems in the world? And, and the biggest thing that we could do was offer to use our expertise to, to bring an audience together around live music. And even though we couldn't do it in person, we did it, um, you know, virtually and incrementally um, over and over again. So that's that's what Adventures is. It's an agency for, for venues and promoters to help them to monetize. Well, it's all about the power of the many too, right? Being stronger, like
1: it gives you more negotiating power if you have a lot of these small venues, small clubs that they would never have individually. And I think that's something we've talked about on this podcast, and I think it's national conversation too, uh, at least within the live event industry is one of the massive, you know, there's been so many awful things that have come out of the last year and a half. And unfortunately, (laughs) a lot of venues that have closed, but you know, the ones that have stuck around, I think one of the great things is it has pulled so many of these independent promoters, independent venues that have these little small venues that if anything, they might've even been prideful on like, you know, we're hang you know, we're, we're doing this by ourselves and we're, you know, toughing it out. Now it's like, I think there's this, um, you know, through Neva and through so many different organizations, it's really pulled them together to how do we work with each other to sort of like become a bigger seat at that table. And obviously they've done it with, you know, Nationally, and with you know, using congressional support and all this stuff like that, but you know, I think it's a beautiful opportunity. Like you're saying, is how do you how can you do that to leverage and get you know ad revenue and sponsorship dollars that you know this one little club in a small town would never be able to approach like an Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. but you know, all of a sudden you've got five or six different venues coming together, and then not only do you have more power to approach one of those bigger companies. But you're also giving those companies the ability to kind of have a better, more grassroots approach by working with these small clubs than they would of, you know, working with a large stadium or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. I think, you know, it's interesting to think about, you know, the why behind, you know, where was this 10 years ago? What, what, what kept us from figuring out that we could do something like this? And I think, you know, it's kind of a, the answer is twofold. And sometimes I think it has to do with you know, just that like diehard independent spirit that kind of like doesn't allow for, you know, too much collaboration. But I think more commonly, it's just a bandwidth issue where when you are an independent and you're bootstrapping, every single one of us has not enough people and not enough hours in the day to just kind of keep the doors open and keep those flowing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, So. You know, we all kind of have I think we've all dreamed of being able to do this kind of stuff, but never had the time to think about how to make it real. And so pandemic and it's, uh, you know, and all it's, you know, all the negatives, like the positive thing was we all had a lot of time to stop and say, hey, if we were going to, you know, if we're going to go back. I think I had a moment where I was just like, if I'm going to go back to doing this again, because like at some point everyone was like, is this my life anymore? Can I do this again? The first thing I thought about was like, if we're if I'm gonna do it, we got to be we have to make some changes. And the biggest change is that you know we can't operate in that way anymore. We can't be understaffed. We can't be paying people not enough. You know, like everybody needs to be comfortable and happy, and in order to be successful in this space. And I think the challenge with music in general is it's such a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's easy to like put aside things like, oh, I'm not making as much money or man, I wish I had more time to focus on, you know, making this great, but I can't, but it's okay. Cause it's, you know, cause this show is awesome. You know, um, there's like yeah. just enough awesome shows to keep you from, you know, really turning away. And so, you know, that's what I'm, that's one of the things that I, I I'm trying to change. I think at the very base of it, there is in the independent space, you know, people don't understand how valuable what they do is. We, don't, we never really kind of like had the opportunity to say, wait a second, what we do is really important. And if it doesn't happen anymore, it's going to be really terrible for our whole community and, and for, you know, artists and, and, and everywhere. So if that's the case, then we need to start standing up and, and holding the line, so to speak, on that value proposition and, and really being and being able to say no more than we say Yes you know? So, and it, and it's hard to do that when you're in that fight, when you're in that like channel and the fire hose is coming at you, you know, so even just having, you know, the perspective of not just not, not being one venue, but thinking about it from like the, the pulled back position of a national network, you know, it allows us to go in. And instead of just, you know, like, for example, it's, you know, it's like, yeah, first, the first thing is like, Is there an opportunity that's interesting? The second thing is like, well, are we just going to say yes to whatever is offered or are we going to spend the time and energy to like get competitive offers and understand really the value, like the, you know, the ask and what the value is to to our partners and make sure that we're getting, you know, the right deal for, uh, you know, for what we're offering.
0: Yeah. Steve, you know, it's, you, you bring up that point, which is, you know, so many people. And when we talk here and adventures in venue land is so many of our guests, you know, the, the underlying thing is that, you know, there's a passion for live music, right? There's that passion there. And you don't often hear people starting off from a passion for money. Right, so to be able to then you know reach out to venues from you know Colorado and California, Los Angeles, Atlanta, bring them all together and kind of give that you know that that leverage for the money because you know that it's it's such a key thing because we learned over the the, through the pandemic that without the money there we're all in some trouble.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's a means to an end, and you know it's like it's not just and it's and it really comes down to like making sure that. The people that I care about, who are the, the the folks that work in our clubs and play at the clubs, um, you know, that's where I come from. I'm, I'm a bass player first. And for a long time, like, I didn't talk about that. Like, I thought it was like kind of like a dirty secret that I was a musician first because I didn't want to be that guy who was like, You know, hey, like come to my club and my band's playing. Like, you know, right. We all know that guy. Sure. Right, right. But, (laughs) but really, it's like, it's the most, it's like kind of the most important thing I found again, like during pandemic, trying to connect with people on a screen, right? Like, you know, it made a big difference to say, oh, yeah, I'm a musician too. And, and, and I think that like, I really believe that, you know, we can make everyone's lives meaningfully better through this, through this, uh, through adventures.
0: Let's, let's talk about making people's lives better because it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another to actually be a part of, of something that impacted so many lives. And so save our stages. Everybody that's in this industry is familiar with, with that whole program. But you know, when you start talking about the 10 million you know, raised uh, for the National Independent Venue Association and drafting that legislation that ultimately Resulted in $16.2 billion with the shuttered venue operator grant program. I mean, it, it is huge. The Save Our Stages Fest, you know, where you've got Miley Cyrus and the Foo Fighters, the Roots, so many uh, uh, big, big things, but it all started from an idea. So take me back to March 2020 and how you got involved and, and how the, this whole thing started. Because we all had time to do ideas, but not many of us did them.
2: Yeah. So probably the the place to start in March, 2020, like for me, pandemic started with South by Southwest canceling. That was like what happened in Austin. That kind of, it was a little, and we were a little bit ahead of everybody else because of the international kind of component. Um, I think it was like the second big thing to cancel. The first thing was um, ultra music festival in Florida. And it was like a really crazy time for me because you know, I had, had uh, you know, found, co-founded and, and was running a, a software company called Prism.fm at the time, and also, you know, working on, on you know, continuing to do my venue stuff. But, you know, I kind of had to, you know, drop everything I was doing and just focus. At that time, the first thing was, I was like, oh, my God, our staff is going to be fucked, you know, because yep. they're supposed to make all this money in the next few weeks, and that's not happening. So yeah. we started a relief effort called Banding Together in Austin, and I did that with the Red River Cultural District Merchant Association, which is another organization that I um, helped to found maybe like five years ago, I think. Um, that represents all of the music venues in the Red River District in Austin. So that's like Stubbs and Mohawk and Empire sure. and Barracuda. And, and what we did was we we literally just put up a, you know, a GoFundMe type thing and asked for help. Initially, we were trying to rebook all the South by shows because bands still wanted to come and people still were going to come out. But there was a point when that became impossible and we we had to just shut everything down. And so we we pivoted to, you know, just a very simple relief effort where. You know, we would take the money that was raised and issue um HEB gift cards. HEB is like a, a Texas based um, food chain, okay. And so, um, you know, we figured out that it costs about you know 7,500 bucks to eat for a week, and so we started issuing these gift cards to anyone who was a you know hospitality or production worker, you know, and not eligible for unemployment insurance, you know, because they're a contract worker, and so we raised. Initially, like something like, and it was interesting because you you said a lot of people thought about things, but didn't do them. Like the biggest challenge initially was, hey, we're not going to raise enough money, so we shouldn't do this. And and my response was like, well, we got to try. And, That's you know, we're we were able to raise $100,000 initially. And I think over the course of the next year, I think we've sent out something like four or 5,000. Um, of these um, HEB cards, you know, and, and raised about three hundred thousand dollars. So I was doing that initially. That was where I was when I got a call from um, my my friend Moose over at Marauder, and he had been one of our marketing vendors, right? Like, you know, we had hired I had hired him to help us with our our startup, and so he called me and was kind of like, "Man, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, I see this spanning together thing. I think that's really smart. Like," I'm thinking about getting people together through independent venue week around the country, just to like talk about what's going on and see if we can't let more people know, like to watch out, like this is coming. And so we had basically this zoom with like a hundred or so operators around the country. And Moose was able to get a, a, a an English event organizer. Um, and, and at the time, again, England was a little ahead of us. Right. So we got that, we got somebody on the phone or on the the zoom that was able to kind of, he basically was like, here's the deal. It's going to start like a trickle. And within a few weeks, you're going to have no, no business left whatsoever. And you're going to have to let go of all your employees. And, and if there was anything I could tell you right now, it's like, start planning now for how to deal with this because it's coming, you know, it's inexorable. Like you're not going to, there's no way that it's going to not happen here. You know, that was very sobering and scary for a lot of people. And I kind of talked about the impact of what was happening in Austin, you know, to the group. And I also talked about how we had created the red river districts and what that was doing. And I think, you know, and, and Dana was basically like Dana Frank from first Avenue was on that call and was like, I see all these other big corporate interests getting stuff in these in the relief program, you know, that the federal government's putting together, but there's nothing in here for us. Like, maybe we should figure out how to like start advocating for relief and at the congressional level. And we all thought that was a great idea. Um, and so there were a couple more meetings, and then we kind of voted to elect an initial kind of like board uh that would be responsible for. Like, simply starting an advocacy effort, funding it, and doing everything we could, you know, to get Congress to pay attention to the plight of independent venues. And that's how it started. We just kind of like, you know, it took about two weeks. And, you know, we had this conversation where everybody was like, well, I, I can do this, I can do that. And my kind of like, uh, you know, no, nobody wanted to be the treasurer or deal with money. And I'm that was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm, I'm great at raising money. So like, let me do that. That's what I'm going to do. And it turned, and so that was like, that was really how it all started was just, um, and it's funny because the people that ended up, you know, on this, uh, you know, at the start of Neva, like the group was actually almost the same group that had been on this panel together uh, a couple months before that Dave Brooks put together for billboard it was, I think it was called like life after the check or something like life after saying no to the check, meaning like people who were independent and, and not, you know, a part of the live nation or AG infrastructure and like how we were able to survive and thrive. And so that was yeah. like me, Dana and Stephen Chilton from uh, the Rebel Lounge in Arizona. Um, and that, and, you know, like, Justin Cantor and Hal Real, like, weren't on that panel, but we all kind of knew each other beforehand um, from various things. Justin and I go way back, you know, because I'm from New York, New Jersey originally, and I've been to LPR a zillion times. My bands have played there when I was managing. So it was just kind of like, you know, like the connections, at least personally, had been made before Neva became a thing. And we all had had the conversations before about how, we thought it would be great if independents spent more time working and talking together. And I think we all recognized that the moment to do that had come and, sure. you know, I've never seen, I've never been a part of a more impressive team of people that just crushed everything that we set our mind to. It was really special to like, to be in that group of folks and like, you know, and again, like as an independent operator, you don't get that experience too often. Right. Like, this was like a real you know i really felt like everybody was excellent at what they were doing and like overachieving and putting like you know we worked 24/7 to get this stuff going you know like and 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 over the course of the next few months we ended up putting together lots of volunteers and help um to the point i think where we had like 200 volunteers at at, at the height of it and couldn't have done it without that larger group i mean obviously like you know, it was a huge Herculean effort to, you know, connect with every Congressperson in the country, um, district by district, and tell the story of our venues and and how they are important to the community and what would happen if they didn't exist in the future. So you know, it was uh, it was a whirlwind.
1: I'm sure too. You kind of uh, hit on how some of you all were already connected, you know, through you know, whatever it was, conferences or meeting or, you know, kind of chatting about it previously. But once you all started finally kind of buying in and creating Neva, there was this magnetism that brought in these other maybe even lower tier independent venues, you know, maybe these clubs that were in these smaller cities that maybe had never connected. So as you all started sort of building that machine and gaining this momentum, I can imagine that you had these other groups and clubs from all over the country that maybe no one had connected with before that caught wind of it on a radio story or heard about it from something else and are like, oh shit, like I managed this small little club. I've never really talked to any other clubs or, or groups before, but now there's this group of like-minded people that are like me going through that same, you know, drudge of things right now. So I'm sure it just gained all this momentum too over time, because you, as you all became more of this public eye that just informs more of those other people that maybe didn't know about it otherwise.
2: So I think there was, there's two, two things on, on that topic. The first thing is, is I think the first, like the first kind of like three or 400 venues that joined Neva um, You know, we're mostly people who we knew that we had reached out to in some way to join. But we went from like, there was a moment when I think we kind of announced Neva and the press in Billboard and Polestar. And like we we made that announcement. And like within a week, we had doubled our membership. And then within another week, we had doubled it again. And it Jeez. was like so crazy how quickly that happened. And, and really like, you know, if, you know, again, like everybody who was involved deserves, you know, praise and and thanks for everything they did. But one person, Audrey Schaefer um, who is the head of communications for IMP and, you know, like the 930 club. And she's, she was just, she was the, you know, her job, she was our publicist basically. Like her job was to get this in the press and I've never seen anyone crush that so hard. Like she just, you know, she got us everything that we needed to get this to be as visible as possible so that, you know, the, the folks, the Congress people that we were talking to, you know, kind of couldn't ignore it. And then the other thing was that we hired this really awesome lobbying firm, one of the bigger firms in the country to make, you know, like to kind of like make our case professionally um, and that was, I think the other, like really important move. And that was the thing that I had to figure out how to pay for. <laughs> right, so right. It started out with like, you know, the first round of, of funding came from, you know, actually from the ticketing space. Right. I mean, the first group of folks that are the most kind of bought into seeing independent venues succeed are the independent ticketing companies. So C tickets, etix and light were the first three companies to, you know, help us to kind of, have enough money to start paying the lobbyists for you know a long enough period of time that we felt like we could get a positive outcome. And then after that, <laughs> it was pretty dark and dismal for a few months. Like I called everybody that I could think of in the industry, adjacent industries, you know, and no one had anything for us. Like there was no help out there. Like everyone was kind of fucked themselves. You know, if they were in an in an adjacent industry, they had their own problems. And if they weren't, yeah. they weren't focused on music. They were focused on healthcare or, you know, employee and worker, you know, kind of issues. Until I ran into Lear Cohen at YouTube Music and he was just he's he was a miracle, you know, like I got to you know, this is somebody who for me, like I grew up idolizing, you know, the Beastie Boys and, you know, his work with in the label space. And somehow I ended up on a Zoom call you know, with this, with this guy. And he was like, I heard the Troubadour was closing. Thank you, Audrey, for getting that in the press. Right. Um, Right. We can't let that happen. What do I have to do? How can I help? Awesome. And we decided to create a moment. We decided to create a massive digital moment, you know, using everything that, and I mean, YouTube, man, we got a day on the Google search bar for Neva. Like you went to the Google search bar the Friday before the fest, and it said, click here to save our stages. And like billions of people, I think, probably saw that. I was just so, and like the conversations with, you know, artists, managers, and teams that would never have taken a call from me or anybody I knew, you know, like, we're just like, yeah, let's go. How can we help? Um, and I, and around that same time, we you know, people had started to figure out how to do online fundraisers. With a variety of different platforms, not just YouTube. And so we started to, you know, get phone calls from like the managers of Fish or the Grateful Dead. And they were like, hey, we want to raise money for for your cause. And so it went again from like this really kind of dismal moment to all of a sudden like, we started to have all the, you know, the, you know, the help that we needed and it was, but it wasn't coming from outside our community. It was coming from our community. It was coming really from, you know, all the artists who had played on our stages and and knew that this sure. was so critical. You know, that's really what it came down to. It wasn't Congress. It wasn't, you know, any particular group of companies. It was artists all over the world and all over the country who stood up alongside us and helped us to do this. And that's
1: really boiling it down, that importance of those small venues, not only for the development of the careers for all these amazing artists that some of them have gone on and they're playing you know, festivals and stadiums, they all started somewhere, but also just like you mentioned with the Troubadour, That's like one memory that this one guy in the right place had. And as soon as he heard about it, he probably his mind went back to like the four or five shows that were really important in his life, seeing him at the Troubadour or working with bands that were playing at the Troubadour. And as soon as it came to that, that was his breaking point where he's like, I got to snap in. I got to do something. What do we need to do? I'll throw all my weight behind it. But like that's that's the importance. I mean, it was literally giving me chills, but the importance of that that like one moment, that one show, that one small venue that really can shift this wave and,
2: you know, bring all this stuff back. I mean, it's really kind of amazing. It was also really the start of adventures too, because the question that he asked me was, it was kind of funny. He was so, he was so gentle. He was like, so here's the thing. Like, do you think that these venues would be okay working with a big brand, you know, like Coca-Cola or Anheuser-Busch. Which and I was a like, great
0: question. Yeah.
2: I was like, well, yeah, I think they would be okay <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you
0: know? know, strange times makes for interesting bedfellows. And I think it was the, it was definitely the right time. So, so Neva, obviously, you know, the huge save our stages fest, uh, you know, we talked about the, you know, the shuttered venue operator grant program, but, what, what's next? Where, where are we at with Neva and, and what's, the, what's the kind of the future of that organization? So
2: I'm a little bit removed from that since I, my board period ended in June and I've focused on adventures. But I can tell you that really the biggest thing that's happening with Neva right now is kind of is really twofold. One, we've begun to collect membership dues from our members so that we can ensure that the organization survives for you know, the foreseeable future. And there has been, you know, a ton of work on, obviously, SVOG implementation has been a nightmare. So we've been working on that for a while. And there's a pretty simple set of priorities for the future, which include making sure that there's infrastructure in place so that something like this can never happen again. And then, you know, kind of advocating on behalf of, you know, so the, 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 the NEVA as a whole is able, is, is looking at what are the issues that impact venues everywhere, all of us, right? So those are things like, you know, like insurance and, you know, access to healthcare, access to resources for professional development. And, um, you know, those are the kinds, so those are the kinds of things that NEVA is going to be focused on in the future. And also, you know, we have, we started a foundation, that kind of sits alongside the association, which is focused on lobbying. Um, and, and I think we're gonna see a lot of really exciting um, new programs that keep kind of like at the base level, the connection between not just all of the owner and operator folks who are kind of you know spearheading NEVA, but also between all of the people who are interested in working in the space, working in the space currently. I think that's that's kind of like the future um, for NEVA is, is to circle up around, you know, protecting workers' rights in the independent space and continuing to advocate for the larger issues. And I think there's, you know, we'll probably have a pretty awesome conference at some point, you know, that everybody, so everybody gets together on the regular. Um, there was just a really nice, you know, groups of us have been meeting for the past, you know, since it's been possible to do that. And that's been a really fun thing to like get to meet the people who you've been Zooming with and never seen for a few years. It's like kind of like right. a weird, weird, but awesome kind of experience to do that. Speaking of weird,
0: how are things in Austin? How's, how's Austin doing post pandemic?
2: <laughs> well, Austin remains as weird as ever. Yeah, for a great time. city. It is a great city. Um, we've had, I mean, we were, it's interesting because Every city is, has like kind of had a different sort of pandemic experience that that really derives from, you know, the way that the, their particular governments have handled um, things like social distancing and vaccination. Texas, um, I would say, is on the wrong side of the fence, you know, from my personal beliefs. But, you know, and so we had a particularly rough time, be you know, kind of like keeping everybody safe, you know, sure. because as opposed, like, you know, it's like, we had enough problems as, as it is just figuring out how to reopen in a socially distanced manner, but like, we kind of, you know, and so, so I opened, reopened Empire outside, you know, back in October of last year, Um, not because it was going to, you know, help our business, but because it was going to help our staff to, and artists to like, make a little bit of money so that they could keep going. But, you know, the biggest challenge was when, you know, the mask mandate was kind of just ripped off, you know, with no warning. And we had to figure out, you know, how, how, and if we were going to continue operating and under what conditions to make sure that our staff was safe and that we were being responsible community members. So, you know, thankfully a lot of that has kind of worked out. Um, You know, initially we had some trouble, like we were not allowed to like do, you know, Vax only shows. Like that was something that was literally like put into law, right? That we couldn't do that. And we spent a few weeks trying to figure out how to get around the law and we finally did. And so, you know, now it's like, well, you can't tell people that they have to have a vaccination, but you can say they can they have to provide a negative test result or a vaccination report. And so that's allowed us to kind of have some predictability, but we're still experiencing, you know, no shows like that are way higher than usual. You know, usually you have like 10%, 15% of your tickets sold don't actually show up. But currently, you know, until recently, even it's been like 40, 50% of the folks who buy a ticket don't show up for one reason or another. And um, about half of the shows that we booked cancel before they play off because somebody's there's a COVID event, or you know, their the sales are not what the people expected. So, you know, we're struggling and we're losing money still. And, you know, thank goodness for the second tranche of SBOG funding, because that's what we need to, you know, to get to the end of it, which I which is still not here. You know, we're still experiencing right. loss. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, the news outside is good. And but, you know, we've seen kind of like you know, now like these these two, you know, like kind of cycles of things are getting better and people are coming out and then they're getting worse and people are not coming out. And I'm wondering how long we're going to be seeing those cycles. I think people kind of were looking at things in a very kind of black and white sort of, well, either it's done or it's not. And when it's done, it's going to be great and everybody's going to come back. But it hasn't been that at all. It's been kind of like start, stop, who knows what direction we're going in, <laughs> traffic jams, Et cetera, et cetera,
1: Well, and I think there's just so many elements too, like you hit on it where there's hard, there's just like zero consistency across the entire country, right? Because even if you're trying to be consistent as a brand or let's say a promoter that's bringing shows around is trying to be consistent, well, every city they're playing is different. Every state they're playing is different. Right. Every, you know, it's not only different from legislation, but different from, you know maybe positivity rate you know and and flexing mandates on mass and stuff so it's it's you know it's just presenting so many challenges and hopefully like you're saying is you know, may, you know when we get to the other side there can be a lot of learning from this to try to better regulate that and prepare for it should some sort of situation like this happen again heaven forbid and
2: whether it's two years or 20 years nobody wants to talk about it but I mean yeah 20 years I think is more reasonable to think like something like this could happen again you know that's that's definitely like that's definitely one of the things that we got to learn right is like we can't just like there are stories about some folks who are smart enough to like Put a clause in their insurance policy or something like that, but most people just were not prepared at all, and you know that has to change. You know that we can't we can't let that go on, and it's hard because it's like a lot of times that's at the the expense of a short term gain, right? So right. having that kind of you know having being able to think in that kind of um, you know time frame is an, is an, is kind of like it's like a it's almost like it's like we're lucky to be able to do that right and and the only way you get to do that is if we're good right now and so i think the big you know part of the big victory for um you know this the save our stages you know from that legislation is 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 allowing us the opportunity to think in that way because before we had you know the short term stuff solved couldn't think about it couldn't even Right. Begin to to open that box. Right. But now we're at least in a position where we can do it. Well, Steve, we thank you uh, so much
0: for your work uh, as part of that great team to help so many of us uh, get to that point where we can uh, do what we love to do so much. Before we let you go, because I know you're busy, man, I want to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your instant response. How about your first concert?
2: Dave Matthews Band when I was thirteen. Actually, that's not true. Raffy was my first concert, but I don't really remember that. <laughs> <laughs> How about your favorite concert? Uh, my favorite concert? That's a tough question. Obviously, like I have lots of favorite concerts, but like the the, the Save Our Stages Fest would probably qualify as like the baddest ass concert that I've ever put on. Um, but like the, the my favorite concert that I actually got to experience was uh, we did a show at South by actually with Robert Glasper in 2017 with a group of um, musicians that he had never played on stage before with, but like really liked. So it was like him and Derek Hodges and uh, Taylor McFerrin and Christian Scott. And I think, I can't remember, I think it was, I can't remember who the drummer was, but it was just like, kind of for me like music is this you know the best thing that you could possibly see on stage is a bunch of really powerful like amazing musicians just like exploring not playing like their album not doing like what you expect and this show was just you know a lot of people told me I was crazy to put a show like that on at South by Um, and it was actually one of the first things that was ever live streamed from South by and it was the most successful stream of that week which was crazy that's um, so cool and then they ended up forming a group and releasing records you know together and wow. you know i like to think that maybe i had some small part in helping that to happen and so that's my favorite concert experience. nice that's a great answer how about your biggest pet peeve <laughs> pet peeve in business would be uh like i think just you know hot air is my biggest pet peeve is like when people have a lot to say, but don't do very much. That's something that I run into a lot. So. Cosign, you know. cosine, cosine, cosine. I'll, I'll <laughs> join that bandwagon with you. I hate that.
0: Yeah. That's my <laughs> how about your favorite. How about your favorite guilty pleasure food? What, what, what's your
2: favorite guilty pleasure comfort food? <laughs> uh, well, I just recently became mostly a vegetarian. So I'm going to go with the cheeseburger That's my favorite. you know, thinking that I'm not really supposed to have, but I love it still. (laughs) Mostly. Last question.
0: Uh, Last question. What is your theme song? So the reality uh, TV show all about Steve with cameras follow you around all the time. Uh, What is the one song that kind of sums you up that plays over the the opening
2: credits? All right. Well, I'm going to give you two songs, one for the opening credits, one for the closing credits. Opening credits would be James Brown paid the cost to be the boss. Nice, and then the closing credits would be "I Get By a Little Help from My Friends" by the Beatles. Very nice. Nice. Maybe maybe the uh, the version that uh, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker, yeah, the Joe Cocker version is like, yeah, solid. He killed that. He killed. Although I'll tell you what, uh, Tank and the Bangas did a nasty cover of that for SOS Fest from Tipitinas. That gave yeah. me chills. That was awesome,
0: Steve. If people want to uh, learn more about ad- AdVentures uh, or,
2: or contact you, what's what's the what's the best uh, place for them to find you? I'm Steve at ad. Ad.Ventures. so that's pretty easy. And I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the social stuff. So that's a you know, holler at me. I'm here. <laughs> there
0: you go. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time today and, and sharing your adventures, if we will. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just was, was a lot of fun hearing your stories and, and really a uh, unique perspective, again, for from so much of uh, us that were struggling through this period for you to actually uh, help find some of that magic was great.
2: Thank you guys for caring and, and, and asking good questions. I appreciate that.
0: And we thank everybody for listening to Adventures in Venueland. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We love your five-star reviews, so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarena marketing.com audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck copywriting and publicity by Samantha marker guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper guest research by Dave Rettelberger marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck and Samantha marker. Do you want to be featured on our up Call in episode? Call the Adventures in Venuland hotline at 859 421 1766 and tell us your favorite event day story. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.